Hi guys, welcome back to my show. And normally I say into the light, a different life story, but no, we have changed. It's steps to sobriety. And that was the original word, the original name for it. And that's really what I thought we would do. But when we started, we very quickly went from sobriety away from sobriety and actually started looking at why do we want to escape reality? And so therefore there was, there was a lot of soul searching with regards to names, etc. But in reality, we want people to have a, a one stop where they can find us and steps to sobriety. Uh, that is something that people yearn for that people look out for so hopefully therefore i can bring the message from my guests out to a bigger audience and we are there to to serve in a more efficient way because life is too short and there are too many people right now living in the darkness where maybe we can be the the little candle the torch the hopefully the beacon there for them to see that there's hope out there and I've just alluded already to the fantastic guests that I bring on. And that is not showing off. That is just, just a fact because I'm so honored and humbled to, to be connecting to, to wonderful people like Pete London. Pete London is here today with me. Yes. And the man is a very, very, um, astute man because he has started to look what really makes us tick what really is 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 happening deep 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 inside once we actually throw all the ego on the top crap away and start digging digging deep down and that's where you find the deep genius and he has become an expert in that and I'm that keen to learn from him today. So, Pete, thank you so much for coming on to my show. Oh, Stefan, what an awesome in introduction. Thank you so much for having me. It's absolutely fantastic to be here, and, I'm, and it's a pleasure. I've no doubt we're going to go down some beautiful rabbit holes, and I look forward to, look forward to the opportunity. Oh, that's fine. As long as you don't want me to dress up like Alice, then I'm I'm okay with that. <laughs> you can so, wear whatever you want because we're all beautiful inside. I don't. Mind. Oh, beautiful! Oh, beautiful, <laughs> Peter. So once upon a time, there was a young boy in the UK who said to mummy, "Mummy, I know what I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be a deep genius expert." Mm -hmm. No, <laughs> said no young man ever. When you grew up, what did you want to be? When I grew up, what did I want to be? I wanted to be a number of things. It was probably work on a farm. All right. uh, for a time, I wanted to be a vet. I felt connected to animals. Um, I wasn't really studio, studious enough to do that, but I, I also liked what vets did in terms of their lifestyle and finances, et cetera. You know? But it was always sort of engineering based, if you like, and that's ultimately sort of where I start off my career in building engineering. You know, and uh, it was creating things, doing boys things, right? You know, you, you break things, you try and put it back together. Wasn't so good at putting them back together. <laughs> I had no problems pulling them apart, much to my my father's disdain that I would, you know, break things all over the place. But I was just curious about how things worked. And, and you know, in a in a, in a synchronous, synchronistic world, it's kind of going, wow, this is interesting. You know, we delve into things and to, to be curious as to how they work. You know, but they never quite go back together the same. And that's beautiful, too, because, you know, that's that's transformation. That's a change in who we are, because would you want to put your life back together the way it was? You want to change it. Right. So, you know, it's just all these things we, we've got to think about and, and be. So, yeah, that's that's who I wanted to be when I was a, a young fella. Yeah, the putting together things that can sometimes be a bit more tricky than to pull them apart. That's so true. And but having said that, the Japanese actually made a real art form out of that, kintsugi. Um, and that is basically that you take broken ceramics or broken porcelain and you glue it back together with gold. And so it actually has been an art form for many hundred years. And there are some stunning pieces out there. So uh, Kintsugi can show that even broken things uh, can be extremely beautiful. And I love that take on things because transformation, that is what this is all about. Man. So here you were, uh, an engineer uh, building yourself up. So you went to university. Where did you go? Went to Edinburgh in Scotland. Mm -hmm. 
So I went to Edinburgh there. So uh, for the guts of well, four years, had I had an amazing uh, social career. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was about to say Edinburgh is a very good party town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think um, there's still actually a beer stain on my graduate certificate. And I think my, my father at the time pretty much, he pretty much knew that that was pretty much summed up my whole thing nicely. I got a piece of paper and a beer stain. It's like, yeah, that... <laughs> It was it was great fun, right? But that's <laughs> that sort of really, um, you know, it, it was amazing time and an experience uh, that I'll never forget. You know, very, uh, you know, it's I think a lot of things when you're out sort of identifying and finding yourself. Um, I, let's just say I made the most of it and enjoyed it. Perfect. What did the alcohol give you when you were a younger man? Um, what did it give me? It gave me permission. Um, it gave me an ability to get over myself. Um, <laughs> uh, exactly. Not only, I mean, it sounds bizarre, but I mean, it was alcohol both in terms of drinking it, but also being around it. So I quickly worked out, I had two choices. I could stand in front of the bar and pay them, or I could stand behind the bar and get paid. So that's ultimately what I did. And I ended up, I had three jobs. So uh, in an evening, I would have had three different shifts in, in two pubs and a nightclub. But also what would happen then is people would buy you drinks and then there'd be a social aspect with the other bar staff. There would be all this and, mm. you know, and then also there would be staff nights out. So you got cheap drink. And I'm when I say cheap drink, it was crazy cheap drink. <laughs> so it was now by volume. You didn't, you know, uh, God, there's some of the stories and some of the things I think back to it, you know, it, like uh, you were getting for, for one, for one, uh, British pound, you were getting maybe five drinks. It's just kind of these crazy, crazy deals, you know? <laughs> so you didn't just buy a drink. You said, well, I, I obviously need 10, so I'll just drink all 10 then, you know? Um, so yeah, <laughs> I don't know if uh, times have changed, but they certainly should have. That's for sure. But I, um, I made the most of it, right? Same here, same here. We were very active in the Heidelberg social uh, scene, so to speak. We created our own social scene and you would go for a nice dinner, then you would go to a nice pub, then you would go to a nightclub, then typically you end up back in the pub, which by now officially was closed. But the owner basically took, took a bunch of us or went in there and, and the rule was you throw 10 Deutschmark behind the bar and then you drink for free. And it's basically, it was that kind of a thing. It was, as you say, there was actually a very social element to that that kind of, of lifestyle. Um, and whilst we, whilst we nowadays sort of look cautiously upon the alcohol it gave you it gave me i love it what you said permission uh, indeed i was i was probably quite shy and at the moment i had i had some alcohol in me i just ah oh, uh, i i came out so to speak and and i was crazy and didn't give a damn about it but otherwise i would have been rather rather self-conscious and self-aware mm. um so now same well, story I think quite often, you know, it comes down to when people say, who are you? You know, that to me, it's, I mean, it's such a loaded question. So for me, quite often it will be as well, I am the truest form of myself. I am also who I think I am. I'm also who I want to be. I'm also who someone else thinks I am. I'm also the greatest version of me. So I am like a nine faceted diamond. It's like, I'm all these things. Now only one is who I truly am, but everything else. So Quite often with a drink, it's not that it's, it's not, it gave me permission per se. It was a temporary high and it allows me to close the gap between who I was and who I truly am. So it allows me to temporarily sort of suspend the gap or suspend a lot of the other facets that were running simultaneously. Mm. But then of course it wears off. And then as you get older, I mean, the, the, the price of a hangover, the price of what you pay, <laughs> it's just not worth it anymore. <laughs> Shit, yeah. But now, I mean, I, I, I go to those places now without a single drink. I, you know, mm. I could count on one hand the amount I would drink in a, in a year. It's not that I don't want to. It's just that, you know, it's saying I have so much more to do in my life that actually it just doesn't serve me. And that's okay, too. Right. So it's different. I mean, I have a different... You know, I used to be a smoker and, and I have a very different relationship with that. Mm. My, you know, with smoking for me, it's a very binary relationship. I can't, there's no medium ground. Mm. It either is or it isn't, full stop. And I know that. And that's fine because of what I want to be. I didn't quit because I think 
smoking's bad for me or I didn't enjoy it because that's not the case for me. I quit because there's so many things I want to do in my life. And as long as I do that, the things that I want to do get further and further away. So mm. for me, I would say to myself, by all means, if you want to have a cigarette, go have a cigarette. But by the way, those goals, those ambitions, those things you have, every time you have a cigarette, it gets further away and further away and further away. And eventually it goes, the penalty of that is not good enough for me. So for that reason, I will no longer smoke. Very different, mm. very different energy to, you know, how often is it, right? Because we don't hear the negatives thing. Oh, I really must stop smoking. Well, mm. so straight away, you've used the word must, which means you won't, you know, and it's not what you truly believe. You do it because you feel you have to. And then it's begrudging. It's not built into you. It's not something you fully believe and fully subscribe to. Mm. So that straight away to me is a critical difference. You know, again, it's not that I don't want to drink or I don't want mm. to smoke. It's, you know, cause like I say, those are things are social mm. and I have a lot of connections. We talked about, you know, studenthood and all the rest and good, good memories. You know, I enjoyed it. I wouldn't do it again, but that's okay. I don't regret doing what I did. Um, you know, because regret, I, I, I try not to hold regrets. Um, but now it's a case of going, no, I, the, the price of what it is, it's not worth it to me. You know, I, I've, I've other things I want to do in my life and that's, that's fine too, right? Which is really, really beautiful. I mean, that is an, an insight that comes from a lot of soul searching and from a lot of, of really deep thinking. And we come to that in a moment. The problem, of course, is that all those things, the smoking, the drinking, the casual sex, the gambling, the whatever it is in, in your life, it serves a purpose and it serves mm. to fulfill an immediate need. What happens for many people, they they find the alcohol at a young age and then they finally say, no, actually, I want to do something different with my life and they stop drinking. Yet mm. they very quickly switch over to something else that might be food, um, fast food or something with a really good bliss point to give you the same high now from uh, that packet of chips or whatever it is you have or they might change two words they might try to live healthy and now they're completely addicted to words towards sport for example um so did you experience some cross addiction some cross mm, pollination so to speak absolutely i think i think we all do it's you know we're by nature we're very addictive as humans you know and it, it it can be the simplest things. It could be TV. It could be, mm. you know, something with an inbuilt chemical. It could mm. be a social chemical. It could be, you know, we all have anchors. We all have vices, I believe, mm. you know, so for me, it was actually, ironically, it was working. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, that was something I had multiple jobs. I did this, oh, yeah. you know, but I do. And, and in retrospect, now I look back and there's a, there's a beautiful sort of quite deep saying that I, I kind of really love. And it's, you know, your voids quite often are your values, you know, and that that in itself and going, hmm. what does that mean? So quite often people would say to me, you know, it's like I, I really value sort of, um, you know, I, I value people who are uh, sincere, honesty, integrity, all these things. Right. And you kind of go, but why? And so many times when you start to actually delve into that, it's because these are the things they haven't had in their life. So, you know, it's it's the same with addiction, the same with a lot of things. Like, you know, why do you drink? I said from the very start, it, it you know, it, it allowed me to actually get over myself, you know, so it actually filled that void, this sort of, oh gosh, I'm not enough, or I don't really know what to say or whatever. Well, suddenly I put this, Superman cape on after having X number of drinks and suddenly I am the greatest version of what I perceive myself to be. Right. So why would I not do that yeah, exactly. until the price you pay gets too much? Mm. So that's the difference for me. So, you know, when just being mindful, what are your voids and what are your values? You know, are they genuinely values or are they temporary things to, you know, try and make up, you know, how many people in their life they want to be successful or they want to do whatever they want to do because they didn't have it when they were a child. You know, some people say, well, listen, I, I, I really must make a lot of money because we didn't have money as a child. That doesn't, that's not your value. That's you trying to make up for a void that happened previously. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure it happens that people who have alcoholic parents who, who have, you know, addictive parents, well, some quite often will turn around and say, I will never drink because of this, because of a void in their life. 
So that becomes their value because of the previous void. I'm not convinced that's a healthy way to be mm. because it's not genuine. It's, it's, it's a value that's generated by circumstance. So mm. it's not yours. It's something you've inherited because of your environment. And until, you know, and as anyone's done, when they have eventually managed to rectify that or they are financially successful or whatever, whatever it is they sort of are aspiring to be, well, they get to that goal point and then they go, well, what do I do now? I'm totally lost. <laughs> touché, touché, lovely said. That's exactly it, isn't it? No, mm. so true, so true. But it is, it is, that is part of the journey. And that is the, the trial and error. No journey goes, okay, I've got an insight and I now go to that goal and I reach that goal. Uh, no, the goal will never go like that. It is your, your path will never go like that. It's windy, it's confused, it's convoluted. And that is normal. And you need to, to work on these, let's say, inner demons, because there are reasons that you have gone through through at the darkness uh, there was a hardship in your life i'm i'm in that uh, that group of people who grew up rather not poor poor but certainly not even wealthy um mm. so therefore money has um quite a focus in my life mm -hmm. because i know how it is to be without money now that's not necessarily something negative that is just, we have learned a lesson and, you know, it is, I, I will make sure that I always have an escape strategy. I will make sure that I always have got, you know, uh, two is one, one is none. There will always be um, other exit strategies for whatever I do in my life. And I think that is, that is part of you and that can be healthy. And in my case, for example, as an anesthetist, these kind of principles became very, very good because if some shit happens, then I've got a plan A and plan B, C, D, et cetera, is already in the back of my mind. So that makes me a good doctor in the case of an emergency. Um, it is also, of course, uh, very much potentially a warning sign that maybe there was some trauma in my past and that I'm actually hypervigilant and that I'm actually more a, a man who actually should look a bit closer at the definition of PTSD. And indeed, literally, that is that was my diagnosis that I finally uh, came around to two years ago after trauma that happened to me as a teenager. So it is, that is an example. So I think you're so on the button there, so on the point when you're saying we need to delve more deeply inside to actually see what is happening deep inside within us. What actually drives you? What, are, what is actually happening? What causes your behavior to be the way you are? And that is, that is an amazing, amazing journey. Now, most of us don't start that journey without actually having a damn good reason to go that because the journey is not very nice. It's rocky and it's sometimes painful, etc. So what made you seek that out? That was not part of your engineering uh, studies. You were girls and, and social life and drinks. And then you started your, your, your work. You identified yourself in work. So what happened? Uh, in hindsight, the writing was on the wall for quite some time. Um, in I, I was fortunate to have a, a rather successful, uh, nearly ten year career in in London. Um, I I was typically hitting all the high spots. Um, I got you know winning global awards, fast tracking the career. Um, you know, senior management trained, the whole thing. Uh, it was great. Listen, it was fantastic. And and the salary to boot and all the rest. And I, but I worked, I really worked hard and I, I put my back into it. So that was the payoff, right? You know, so you're saying, you, you know, I deserve this. You know, I deserve, you know, because I've worked this, therefore I deserve that. Mm. You know, and this is, is this not the thing? Is like, I deserve a drink because I've been a good boy. So we, we have this yin and yang in our lives, you know, saying of, you know, here's the, you know, here's the penalty, here's the reward, you know, it's so, mm. but super interesting. So I, I, I literally, and in, in 2010, 
um my my mother passed away in 1997 my father passed away or he he was diagnosed in 2010 with cancer and that was a relatively um it's about a t- nine or ten month process he went through it was uh, esophageal cancer and unfortunately he died in uh, march 2010 and what i've discovered during all that is actually six months after he passed i quit my career completely quit so straight away what i realized is actually my career was more important to my father than it was to me and that's not to say it's not to say that he was pushing me per se but it was a connection point between us because it was something he was a career man he had a 40 year plus career with one company and very much you know that's what you did you worked hard you got your promotion you worked hard you got your promotion even me leaving i so i changed uh, a few different companies which actually was a big career jump for me he was almost concerned that i wouldn't have this ongoing career so that was our relationship that was my recognition of success through him so when he was removed from the scene unfortunately you know cancer took him and and that was it well then my values, my my world was kind of upside down. It's like, I now don't know what my value system is. So mm. therefore, I know it's I'm tired. And I was burnt out at that point. I Honestly, I think probably another two years doing what I was doing, and I would have been pa- past the point of coming back. Um, sleep deprivation, working extremely hard for a number of reasons, for a number of reasons, but I, I, you know, self-driven, I did it for me. I, you know, it wasn't being forced or anything else, but anyway, that my father passing actually triggered what became a seven year period of depression in my life. Now depression has always been a funny thing for me. And I see depression pretty much as a symptom, not a cause. And it's very, that's something that's really took me quite some time to realize you, cause you don't catch depression. You don't sort of trip over it or, you know, it doesn't something, you know, it's, it's not always there. It's a symptom of what's happened. So for me, ironically, then you say, well, what caused it in the first place? You know, you like I say, you don't, you generally don't catch depression. It's there. It's, it's from something else. So when you realize that it's really quite key. And in the, in this aspect, when we talk about sobriety and whenever I'm talking to guests, you know, I'd even say to them, is like, why do you think your parents were like that? Or why was I like that? What was I looking for? Now, you maybe don't know at the time, but retrospectively, quite often you look back and say, well, actually, that was me searching. You know, me working extra hard was me actually seeking myself, looking for myself, looking for approval with my father. And actually, the more I, and my father was not a controlling, he was incredibly supportive, which actually made it harder, you know, because Sometimes in life, you know, from great overwhelm comes great change, but not everyone has this massive tragic story. You know, I feel, I feel incredibly lucky to have had my parents, you know, they didn't beat me. There's a number of things they didn't do and people go, well, but, but they died. And it's like, yeah, but they showed me so much love and so much opportunity up to that point. So I feel blessed, which is so unusual for people. So by the time you actually sort of, get through that but that's that aspect and and i go back to sort of saying my voice were my values well my success in my career meant that actually i felt that my father would be proud of me my father being proud of me and telling me he was proud of me then gave me self-love or gave me love which actually filled the gap of my own self-love so and so that circle continues and this is a people-pleasing gene right you know, so you take a drink, I'm a better person. He's, listen, give him a drink and he's this life and soul of the party. You know, they fulfill the role. Well, suddenly I don't mind doing it because that's the thing. You know, take him off the drink or do whatever, then he's quiet, he's nobody. And it's like, well, gosh, I want to be somebody, right? So let's do this. Everyone will love me. Therefore, I'll, do, I'll keep doing this cycle. And that's how I get my eternal soul cup filled up of happiness because I play this role they then shower me with shower me with praise until we do that. And this cycle continues. The problem with the cycle, and it's the same with any drug, it's not, it's not necessarily the drug itself, is actually we need more and more of it to get the same effect. And so the cycle continues. In fact, it actually speeds up. We need the slightly bigger high. We need the bigger effect. We, you know, we need that bit more love. So and so we go on and on and on. So 
in 2010, like I say, when I sort of ended up, you know, my father passing away and all that, it was, it was a massive version of me searching for myself. And and I was lucky enough, I, I came back and went to, and went into business with a, a good friend of mine, who's basically family. And for the following seven years, we, again, we had another successful company because that's what I knew, knew what to do. But at the same time, I, I just knew something wasn't right until... It basically all manifested again, exhaustion, tiredness, overworking, all the usual traits, you know, the addictions of work, addi- work addiction, you know, um, and all the things over committing, you know, sort of over promising and doing more than I could do. And then a child came along and absolutely blessed to have that. What happened then is my exhaustion went to another level. So suddenly... <laughs> Not only could I not work enough hours in the day, uh, we were also, we, we, a change in legislation meant we basically were losing the business. And I got to the stage where I actually thought I was losing my mind. I, and I, and truth, I probably was. Um, so at 37 and a half, I found, and I got to that, literally that pinnacle point where in the middle of the night, I found myself sitting in the dark on the side of my bed, rocking backwards and forwards. The pain and agony I was in, the pain it turned out was from toothache. The <laughs> agony was from the situation. Sure. But people talk about that turning point, and that was my darkest hour. I will never forget that feeling. That was the point when I said enough was enough. I didn't know what the answer was. All I knew is my recipe, my formula was wrong. And that's the point when it becomes non-negotiable. So when people talk about what do you want, there's a difference between saying, well, I want this. It's like, well, you've just, you've told me something that you could, should, might, maybe, all these woolly words until it becomes a case of saying, I'm changing. It is done. It becomes non-negotiable, factual. That's when you know it's suddenly at any consequence, at the price, I will pay the price. And that's something that's been huge for me in my life. When you get to those pinnacle moments, we talked about really with the drink, we talked about with the cigarettes. It's like I said, it's not that I couldn't keep going because I possibly could, but at the same time, I was really no, no longer willing to pay the price. And that was the massive turning point for me. Mm. Did I know where I was going to go after that? No. Was it scary? Absolutely changing friends changing lifestyle people saying you've you know you kind of pretty much lost the plot you know but i was so certain it was going i'm going from here and i had this vision this feeling of where i could be and i also knew that it was outside of my current environment so for that reason i was going i don't really care what anyone thinks anymore because my goal my objective is now outside of this realm so I have to get the blinkers on. I have to get focused and I have to see that long-term projection. And I say to anyone, if you need, no matter what, I didn't know what I wanted. However, what I did know is that the successful patterns of people and of successful people were reading, determination, focusing, 10,000 hour rule, you know, becoming an expert, reading, reading, learning, seeing, trying, breaking, putting it back together, doing these things. I still didn't know what I wanted to do. It took me quite some time. In fact, I was doing it long before I realized that this was actually my thing. But what I did do is I actually started to inherit the habits, the traits of successful people. And that too became part of my recovery journey, if you like. And I don't even, you know, it's not recovery and, and even sobriety. Is, it's, it's kind of slightly... Um, it's an interesting point for me because sobriety almost suggests that it's it's formed out of lack. Well, for me, it's actually, I go back to where I started and saying, it's stripping back to who I truly am. It's not from lack, it's from, that's the point of everything. So who I truly am, when I can discover that, it's that I'm saying, well, that's exactly where I'm supposed to be. You know, and... I- I would rephrase that even a little bit. I would actually not say who I am, who I want to be. I want to be that person. I want to be that person because of whatever the reasons are, whatever my my 
whatever my whole genetic makeup has determined me to be, whatever the influences from my environment had formed me to be, all those belief systems, they are there, that's me right now. But I have got the opportunity to change into the person that I want to be, into that person who I want to be. Well, I would be a little bit cautious about the use of the word want, because want is future paced. Okay, so, and it's okay. an instruction to the mind, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like the mind says, if I leave you wanting, then I've succeeded here, correct? So it's going, ha, no, ha, that's, ha, ha, okay. Okay, so, okay. So you're saying, so um, when you're future pacing, the likes of the visualization, the goals, etc., you're saying, I am grateful now that I am happy, successful, fulfilled. <laughs> so it's being, it sounds really, and this is where I got really pedantic in the language in terms of oh, me, good. myself, and I, how we referred ourselves in different tenses. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the language we use, what do you, you know, and this is what I found from talking about to people about their fire in their belly, they started using keywords, hmm. passion, the biggest word by 80% of people saying, what does fire in the belly mean? Passion. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Anyone that's saying, you know, they're passionate about their business, using the words love. So I call the love language. And once you start to trigger on that, these are things where people will move heaven and earth because they're passionate about it. They love it. It's just genetically connected to their core. It's part of their soul values, not core values, soul values. It's part of who they truly are, their true identity, their deep genius, if you like, the person of who they're meant to be underneath the skin of all this, you know, this meat suit that we're in, in the physical form. It's just the, the the actual true version of them. So I've slightly wandered off the path, but hopefully oh, that makes a bit of sense. Oh, very much so. Very much so. And it's the importance of, of how we phrase these things to ourselves. Um, so no, I love the I love the words and I recognize them from from some of the, the teachers out there like Morrissey, etc. So you're quite right. You're you're very much spot on the money and that is actually my weakness so certainly one of my my coaches uh pulls me up on that uh constantly and said no that's not how you say it <laughs> so i love it i'm grateful and happy that um so it is it is the the way you're setting yourself up either to win or potentially to put more hurdles in your way and make your mm-hmm. progress actually more difficult so so important and I guess there, that's where we come to the point that, that ultimately, when I listen to you, you're a man who is willing to listen to others. You identify that there is a void, that there's a shortcoming, something that you're not happy with. And then you look around and you put a team together um, of people who have been there, done that, and have succeeded in that. And that is an absolute key ingredient you are reading but you're not reading anything uh women's weekly you're reading uh about napoleon hill you're reading about other influential people who have succeeded and who can teach you and can guide you and you are learning from that so these are all very active steps you don't just sit on a hamster wheel and Mind you, you have been sitting just as me. It's the, those 16-hour days, I remember them well. The candle burning on all ends. Actually, it wasn't a candle. It was more a fire in the room. The whole room was on fire. <laughs> that was my life. And, uh, and it, was, it was emergency, left, right, and center. It was reaction, not action. And it was just not a nice life. So you actually took pause. You stepped off the hamster wheel. Um, Sometimes you were forced to with the death of your father. And that is what happens to us. We, we, we have these traumatic resets. You come to a crossroads and it doesn't matter if you like that you're there or if you don't like that you're there. That's what life does. It challenges you with mm. new developments and there's nothing you can do about that. But what you can do is to experience the emotions that are happening within you and start working with them and see them as signals from your soul, from your heart, from your body to to guide you where you need to go. And that is a beautiful, 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 powerful moment in life 
And many people don't see it for, for what it is. It is an opportunity for you to rethink who you want to be. What do you want to be? Is Are you still on the right track? And if, uh, if we could just teach people, if we could just make them see that, that they're, they're often their they're moment of greatest pain is actually the moment when, they're, when their catapult is pulled this far back that the only way that they can go is forward and often at a dizzying speed. And if you actually now align your morals, your views, your, your vision and crystallize that, you make, you're basically aiming your catapult in the right direction. Bloody hell. I mean, where can that lead you to a very different life? And I guess that's what Pete, that's what you have experienced. You have redefined yourself several times in your in your life. You have been you as you have been different persona, and uh, therefore it's the true deep inner genius has been developing over the years. So you found different geniuses at different times in your life. And that's normal, isn't it? Absolutely. I, th I think it's, I mean, you've covered so many great points there. It's, it's understanding, there's a number of things really, when you decide or you realize that life's happening for you, not to you, mm. that is huge. It's a huge point. Mm. And also bearing in mind, we have manifested both the good and the bad. So even the bad things, the things that we consider are happening to us, you know, and people just say, oh, you know, it's like, well, per me, this has happened or this, I keep, you know, this keeps happening in my life and it's going, yeah, maybe it's actually trying to teach you something. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's kind of going, yeah, it's like, and you're absolutely right. From your darkest hour, quite often comes your brightest moment. Uh -huh. And it's from that moment because we see the greatest point of contrast. I know that was the case for me. It was, I can't go much lower. I really can't go much lower. And I've spoken to a lot of people who are suicidal and things like that. And it's like almost when they realize that it's a case that all bets are off, it's almost the most freeing moment. It's the moment of going, do you know what? I genuinely have nothing else to lose. Therefore, I have everything to gain. It's that moment of greatest contrast. Because I actually think there's a, there's a massive social disease of okayness and goodness. The problem is people that don't necessarily see this contrast, well, they eventually say, well, okay is good enough and good is good enough. The problem is none of it is passionate. None of it is love. None of it is fire in the belly. None of it is you know, euphoria, opportunity, all these exciting words. It's just a bland case of somethingness and it's nothingness. So, you know, and they say, people, gosh, you've gone through so much, but yet look at you now and people are amazed, you know, how have you done that? It's because they have seen the contrast of the darkness and also because they've seen the darkness, they know the price that they've paid and they will never pay that price again. They will do everything in their power to make sure that happens, which gives them focus, which gives them drive, which means they are never going back to that place. They are driven by that. Now, as long as that's a healthy drive, so be it. Now, we do, as going through that journey, you go through what I believe is you go from being pain-based to pleasure-based. So quite often, and, and the issue with pain-based, and most people are, is that they want something so that something doesn't happen again. They want something so that they cannot have the pain they've experienced in the past. You know, they want something so that they can have all these things, which is totally different when you're saying, I want something because maybe it's going to bring out the best version of me. You know, and that's all what I would call pull-based. It's all future-based because so many people are living their past now when they could actually be living their future now. How many times do people say it's like, well, I'm going to do this today. Well, I won't do that because that happened before. Oh, we've, we've dragged all the conditions of the past and we're living that in our now. Everything is preconditioned. Everything, all our beliefs, everything else is sitting there. When actually what's happening now is just that. It's the nowness, nothing else. But what if 
with the visualization, with our language, we start saying whatever else it is, it could be, and this is what I talk about your genius. It's actually when you ask your imagination, when you ask, you know, what your goals are, why is that important? So you've four easy steps, ask, believe, do, receive, super simple. When you ask the right question and really, you know, really ask, and it's making sure it's not a void, it's a genuine value. When you believe it, genuinely believe it, and that could be, I want a million dollars, I want whatever. Well, quite often when you ask it, quite often you say, well, actually, I don't want that. I just want to make sure that I, you know, I, I make do for a, a previous void in my life. Say, no, what do you really, really want? Do you believe you can have it? And that's going through and that's triggering the visualization. Can I see myself with it? Can I trigger all my senses? Can I smell it? Can I taste it? Can I touch it? Can I hear it? And can I see it? So if you can visualize with all those, I say this to people, if it's a car you want, you should be able to actually see yourself and, and fire the imagination so vividly that you can actually, you can taste what the steering wheel is going to taste like. You know, that that's how vivid and how strong it is. Well, then the, the mind kind of goes, I can't actually tell if I have this car or not because I've, I've been triggered in all those ways. Rather than sitting there going, well, poor me, I can never have that. It's not for anyone else. So there's, there's so many things there, really. But to cover one other point, if I may, just and it's, it's the difference. So to me, typically, the conscious mind is the one that thinks. So when someone says to me, I think, okay, they've just told me they're working from the conscious mind. When someone tells me, I know, I know they're working from the ego. Because the ego likes to know. The ego is... It's that sort of masculine-based, masculine energy. Um, this happened, therefore, I will bring you a solution. I will club it over the head and bring it to you, you know. <laughs> then you get to the subconscious mind. The subconscious mind feels. How do you feel? It's more than words can describe. So feeling is kind of, well, I feel like this, like this. I can't quite describe it in the right words. Mm. So that goes into subconscious mind, and that's very, very powerful. But I would also say you can't always trust your feelings. It might necessarily, there could be layers of feelings that are stacked up. And then when you get to your soul and your soul values, that's when it's just love, light, whatever. So for me, our language tells us everything. What you say to me in your physical words, words are perfectly imperfect, but it's a beautiful window to the soul. Mm. And people quite often don't realize they've just told me everything from listening. I've just heard the words they've used, the different tenses they've said, their tone, their language, their polarity, what's gone on. And people going, oh, God, how, you've really listened to me. And it's like going, well, for me, it's obvious because I'm going, you've just told me. You've literally just told me what's wrong. <laughs> you know, it could be parts integration. It could be, you know, I, me, myself, what's going on. And they're sort of going, God, you're a genius. And it's like going, no, I am genuinely listening to you. You're telling me everything I need to know. Mm. You know, it could be a facial tick as well. This is what I really want. It's like, yeah, not feeling it. Hmm. So. Um, Which is, and that's the deep genius, isn't it? And that is, and I love what you say about the feeling. I feel uh, that, and that there might be variations of these feelings there. Feelings come from deeply ingrained belief systems. And those belief systems give you messages and the messages turn into to feelings and that feeling might be anger rage and you might be a very dark person due to those feelings those feelings that are predominant it might be the shame the guilt all those negative emotions well they are mm -hmm. feelings and often enough they are bloody big lies so your depression is lying to you. Your PTSD is lying to you. Your addiction is lying to you. And it does so through the feelings. I think that is so important. That's where we need to, to dive really deep down and actually figure out why are you feeling like that? So mm. I love it that you say, don't trust your feelings. They might not necessarily be right. In my case, they were so often so wrong. And mm. I see that nowadays. And I catch myself and if i have got an emotion then i do a quick mind check a quick analysis of that emotion and say okay what does that really mean you're angry about that person 
Okay, quick check. Are you hungry? Are you angry? <laughs> Are you lonely? Are you tired? Oh, yes, four of them. Okay, maybe it's not the guy, okay? Maybe it's you. <laughs> so classic example there. So that's a simple a simple uh, double check that I do, cross check that to make sure that I'm actually on the right, uh, right, uh, I'm barking up the right tree, um, that I don't rip See, this guy's head off uh, because of something that's really my issue, not his issue. Well, I mean, yeah, it's 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 a huge point because, as a as a great mentor of mine says, you know, it's like, what is it you see in them that you don't like about yourself? Mm. So when you're criticizing, when you're poking mm. fun, whenever, whatever, it's like, what do you see in them that you don't like about yourself? And it's so powerful when you actually sit down about it. <laughs> but I loved in that example you gave previously. I thought it was fascinating in saying I catch myself. Now, if we just take that and pull those three words apart, that tells me that there's two parts at play in there. There's the I and there's the myself. And that means in my eyes, there's a misalignment. So part of you believes one thing and a part of you believes something else. So it tells me within the sentence you've just used, there's two parts of you with different sets of values at play here. Correct. You know, and that example, it's, it's so important. The I sees itself as the, the dominant, so it says, I catch. Therefore, I'm the authority to be out catching. And I catch another part of me, which means straight away I'm saying, we're out of alignment, where values are not quite synced up here. Mm. So straight away there. And why then we may feel, you know, a, a feeling that might necessarily be truly accurate is because it's almost gone septic. Mm. Because this, this misalignment has gone on for so long in our lives. Mm. And it, it, it's it's trapped and it's just there. It's like an infection that just gets worse and worse and worse and worse until it blows up. Now, drink or whatever may temporarily dull the pain. Mm-hmm. You know, a bit like an anesthetic, it's, it's great, but it's not a lifetime solution. It's a temporary solution. Mm-hmm. So that's the same thing where you're saying it just is allowing you enough time to get over that. Now, it's going to come out. That thing's going septic. If we don't get over it, mm-hmm. and that's what happened to me. Eventually, it, something's going to go bang. It's either going to get released in a nice way. It's going to come out in a bad way. It's going to come out in a rage. And if we don't allow those feelings to come out, if we don't address the different parts of us, it's it's not going to be pretty. You know, we can only sit and fester on stuff for so long. You know, and we will point fingers at everyone else. Well, she did that and he did this and all the rest. Of course, it's never you. We're all convinced that our truth is the is the is the right truth. You know, their truth is the wrong truth. My my truth is the right truth, and they're looking at us going, "His truth is the wrong truth. My truth is the right truth." And you're like going, "Well, actually, we're all sitting in echo chambers, and our truth is correct until someone actually points out that maybe it's not, and therefore we quickly adjust, and the ego steps in and going, "Okay, we're now our truth is a question here. So first thing is, I'll be offended." You know, and it's almost like the five stages of grief, right? So we go into denial. Well, he's wrong. And then we go angry. Well, screw you. You know, and we go, we go through all this denial. No, you know, so all the, all the five stages, right? And this happens constantly. We're in the five stages of grief every single day of our lives in different phases, different ways. Mm. So, I don't know. But no, it's it's beautiful. What you're saying is so true. But it shows. I mean, we have gone through through a myriad of themes in this this one hour. And guys, if you listen to that, can you imagine that your journey to recovery uh, might that be from addiction or from depression or from anxiety might not just be such a straightforward thing? Rest assured, you can't go three times to a counselor or uh, have, have two meetings with a life coach and then say, yes, that's it. All done now. I'm I'm on the right track. Let me put it like that. Welcome to the club of lifelong learning about yourself. Lifelong, endless possibilities of reinventing yourself, of figuring out, okay, I tried that path didn't really work so well because I actually didn't address that underlying problem. And guess what? You can only address this many things. You can only take so many steps in in one go. You have to start with one step. And whatever that step will be, it will guide you into one direction. Then it's time to reassess. 
Is the boss that stepped the right direction? Yes, cool. Keep going until one issue in your life you've dealt with. And but then rest assured, this journey will continue. And it's beautiful. I wouldn't have it any other way, man. It is, I'm I'm constantly getting to improve myself on an emotional basis. I'm constantly learning more about myself. And I, I, I get to love myself, warts and all. Uh, but in order to do so, you need to actually have a good look at your skin and find the warts. And you need to find the scars. And you need to find the little pus postures that you hopefully drain and get your shit sorted. Uh, but this is, this is a lifelong journey. And whilst you at the moment, you might be in a really dark spot. And that's the reason that, that, you, that you clicked into this show and wanted to learn more. I, again, want to reiterate, congratulations that you're at this spot because you're so uncomfortable with the, with the current you that you will change, that there will be a new you emerging like a phoenix out of the ashes. How cool is that? You get to do that. You get to experience transformation in all its its beautiful glory. And that's that's. Bloody hell, it gives you goosebumps just that you're talking about that uh, because it is such a powerful, powerful, beautiful journey. God, that's that's why I'm so grateful. Uh, Pete, you came onto my show and you changed my life. You gave me insights. Uh, now, every single every single word that we've said, it was a little bit, uh, you know, uh, preaching to the choir. Yet at the same token, you made me think. And that's powerful. So I have grown in that hour here. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. And you you alluded to that earlier, that in your show, it's the same thing for you. You have had this, this opportunity to talk to people and they have opened your eyes and they constantly challenge you, uh, give you the opportunity to grow. And that is that is what success truly means. Not necessarily the money, not necessarily how many houses you've got in your portfolio, not necessarily promotions, whatever it is that you're really at the moment focusing on in, in your traditional world. Yes, they are, they are of importance, but ultimately it's that, that soul surging. And in your case, the digging out that deep genius, the deep interior genius that is so powerful. So if you start unleashing that genius, who who says that you can't go places that you could have never possibly imagined where you truly are happy and where you use the love language as Pete, as you mentioned it, how beautiful is that? And I, I love that, literally, I do love that. That's why I'm sitting here and that's why I will not go away in a hurry because I'm grateful to connect with people like you, Pete. Um, which is just amazing, an amazing opportunity for me. Pete, if other people want to connect with you, I think to start off with, they should buy your book, shouldn't they? Because Pete, show us your book. You've got a book there for others to actually dive into. Listen it's to it. Quite your simple. Yeah, so it's it's be hard to be rich, which is um, it's funny, you know, the beautiful words you've just used is just that. When you are heard, that's when you become rich. Now, people get hung up on the word rich. When you are rich in your soul, rich in your character, rich in, in who you are, rich in your life, well, then the physical forms of richness comes with. Hmm. But actually, when you are heard, you're truly, truly heard, your inner genius is heard, well, that's when a richness of life comes about. And that's the point. Be heard to be rich. Listen to your inner genius. And that is something for me, taking time with the podcast and actually taking time to listen. Mm. There's a little story I'd like to share with you, Stefan, if mm. you don't mind. I, I, I'd, I'd spoken to um, my, my group this morning and it was a mixture of multiple conversations and things coming together. And it's all about, you know, when, when sometimes when we feel a little bit insignificant or we're just not sure of what we're capable of. Well, it led me to this thought process and there's basically... I started to wonder and saying, well, how many cells are there in the human body? Why did I start to wonder this? I don't know. But it led me to Google. And Google tells me there is 
trillion cells, trillion cells now, in the average human. So to give you an idea what a trillion is, it's a million, million. So you kind of go, wow, that's pretty big. And then for some reason, I started to wonder, saying, well, if we were to, you know, how many specks of flour are there in a bag of flour? If I was trying to represent the number of cells in a different form, what would it be? So I thought, well, I don't know why. A bag of flour is an interesting way of looking at it. So it turns out on the average bag of flour, in a kilogram bag of flour, there's a million specks on average, give or take. I don't know who's <laughs> counting. <laughs> so mathematicians said there's roughly a million specks. So if we wanted to represent, which is what we do, we love a story, we love to represent things, right? So if we wanted to represent all the cells in the average human being in flower form, in flower specs, we would need 37,000 bags of flour. You kind of go, that's a lot of bags of flour. Wow. <laughs> now, Anyone that's ever had a bag of flour and they've accidentally spilt it or burst the bag or do it, they know that flour gets everywhere. You know, and you kind of go, it's it's messy, right? It's not pretty or you're cooking or granny was baking or whatever and the flour is flying around all over the place. Now imagine, imagine if we took the 37,000 bags of flour and for the crack, we decided to build it into a pyramid. But in the base of that pyramid, we're going to put a load of sticks of dynamite in it. And what we're going to do is build it up to a lovely pyramid, and then we're going to blow it up. That flower, which represents all the cells in one human, this is just one human, by the way, now. This is not nothing more. Do you think that flower is going to go everywhere? It's kind of going to be, you know, in the sea, the sky, this, you know, wherever. It's going to be everywhere. It's God. And my people will be pulling out of their hair. They'll be tasting it. They'll be in the water, be everywhere. Now, just to take it a little step further, is bearing in mind, we all started off as one sperm cell, one egg cell, to form together to come to be one cell. Mm. In that one cell was who you are, the, sh the shape of your face, the, your height, your genes, your hair color, your, all that inside that one cell. So any one of those 37.2 trillion cells carry more information than we can actually get into a computer. You know, all the purposes and all the rest. So if you are feeling a little bit insignificant today, just take some time to think about that. You are 37.2 trillion cells worth. You have any possibilities. All it would take is one cell. You started off as one cell, so you can't say that you don't know what it feels like because you started as one. That one cell to have a gem of an idea. Sure, there's going to be other cells that are going, well, I've got a better idea. But to find that one cell, do you think in 37.2 trillion, there's going to be one good cell in there? Maybe more, there will be more. But if that one, knowing that that one cell is already inside you, you don't need to learn it you don't need to take it on from anywhere else you just need to sit and be with it that one cell can create something that will blow your mind that's just a little representation of how phenomenal we are so when if we're sitting there feeling a little bit significant we're a bit lazy and we haven't done this and we haven't done that do you know what we've done quite a lot right <laughs> You're a beautiful storyteller. <laughs> and it is so true, the visual representation. <laughs> Guys, so it is a humbling thought and it's a beautiful thought because there is nothing that you can come up with right now to tell me that you can't today turn your life around and change and work on the new you. There is... There is hope out there. There is help out there. There are people out there who have modeled how you can get out of your mess. So what was to happen if we connect your 37 trillion uh, cells uh, with another 37 trillion uh, or multiples are thereof and actually have this connection of like-minded people who help each other 
to actually make this world a little bit of a better place, starting with you and your immediate bubble. How cool would that be? Okay. Pete, I'm so grateful that you came onto my show. I'm absolutely honored. I'm humbled. This was a fantastic interview. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me the space. I appreciate you coming on and, and giving me the opportunity to speak with you. So thank you, oh, yes. Stefan. I appreciate it. I appreciate and, you. And you guys out there, look after yourself. Bye. Dream.